So find your place again. Psalm 100. The 100. There are so many good old songs and hymns based on that one. We could have sung probably an hour. Hear the word again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. So open now, Lord, Your Word to us that we would hear with understanding, that we would that we would hear in such a way that we are moved to see You more clearly, to love You more passionately, to respond to Your infinite grace with gratitude of heart that spills over out of this meeting we're having here this morning out into our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through to the end of the week, and brings us back to praise You some more and to grow in grace. Help each one, the little ones to the oldest, to see You for Christ's sake. Amen. This psalm is a call to worship. It's an invitation for you to come and find your joy in the One who made you. Uh, to draw near uh, to Him and see Him for who He is and for what He's done so that you do praise Him with thanksgiving. Indeed, this psalm is a challenge to you and to me to make gratitude toward God the anchor point of our entire lives. And so that's what we, we want to look at here this morning. And it, it begins with this. As a creature made in God's image, you are called to a life of God-centered praise. Verse 1 and 2, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Notice that this is a call that goes out to the whole world. All the earth, verse 1 says. Why? Because... The whole world is God's rightful domain. We saw that a few weeks ago in Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell in it. And so the world and all who dwell in it, and that includes you, are called upon to praise Him. Listen, this is why you were made. Children... This is why you are here. And I mean here on this planet. Do you understand that? As a person made in the image of God, you were made for His glory. And so to fail to glorify Him consciously and with purpose is to miss the whole point of your existence. You and I exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And to make anything else the motivating purpose of your life is, well, it's simply to miss the point of that life. 
No wonder then, when we do that, no wonder that life itself begins to unravel and to go astray because you have missed the point. Any life that does not seek at its heart to praise Him is a life that is already going awry. And it can't be right and won't be right until He is set on His rightful throne of worship. You and I are called to live lives that praise Him. And notice, not just meekly or mildly, but loudly (laughs) make a joyful noise. Literally, shout with joy. Psalm 66, verse 1 and 2, Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give Him glorious praise. Psalm 47, verse 1, Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud shouts of joy. One commentary looking at this word said that um, there is nothing polite or moderate about this call to praise Him. And so while yes, it is true, there are times for quiet reflection and a soft amen. This is not one of them. (laughs) When you see Him for who He is and realize all He has done, listen, our praise should be extravagant. Uh, This, in fact, is an invitation to a rowdy, God-centered worship that shouts at the top of its lungs. Um, we see an example of that in Ezra chapter 3, verse 11. And it says, All the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. Uh, verse 13, For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. I don't know what that does to your Baptist soul. Um, I suspect many of us dispositionally are a little um, Baptitarian. That's okay. But maybe we could use a little bit of Bapticostal in us as well. And yet, I don't really think this is so much about the form of our worship as it is about its all-consuming nature. In other words, the point really isn't so much its volume, nearly as much as it is the impact such worship ought to have on the whole of our lives. Living our praise out loud. So the whole of our lives are centered on God with a joy-filled worship at the beating heart. I mean, look again at verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. These, by the way, are commands. Two commands pointing in the same direction of a life lived to the worship and enjoyment of God. First, serve the Lord with gladness. And notice, gladness, not just duty. And and this word serve really has a double-edged meaning. It, It can mean either a service of worship... Like this, right? Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, taking an offering, hearing a message, the kind of things we're doing today, a service of worship. Or, it can also mean a worshipful serving. Where we go serve Him by serving others to the glory of His name and living for the glory of His name. And really, here it is a combination of both. Really, it has to be because the one fuels the other. 
So that what begins here each week when we gather together as a service of worship then spills over into the rest of our lives. Where, where when we come here like this, this, um, th- this should be the beginning point. In fact, the New Testament describes it in that way. It describes it as a spiritual service of worship. Speaking of our lives, Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, all that you are, all that you have, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And so worship does not end when we say amen at the end of the service. Right? It it begins there. And so again, this should be the pattern of the entirety of our lives. We we start here, we gather in His name, and this, this act of gathering orients us to God. It reminds us of His gospel. It restores to our hearts the, the, the gladness that we have in Him as we remember that our, our sins are forgiven in Christ. And then we go out in the strength of that. Not because worship is over, but in order to carry that worship into every aspect of our lives. Serving Him with gladness. Now notice that. Gladness. Not just duty. Listen, dear one, don't settle for a Christianity that just guts it out and does its duty with no sense of gladness in God. Oh, how we need this. So, labor... Labor, dear one, to get your heart in line with this truth. Urge it on. Provoke it. Push it toward gladness. You say, I can't do that. I mean, if I, I, can't, if I don't feel it, I can't do it, can I? Shouldn't, I? shouldn't I feel something first? No, no, you've got it exactly backwards. That's how the world thinks. The world thinks for something to be authentic... That the feeling must precede the action. I just, I just follow my feelings. But understand, just following your feelings is the quickest way to make shipwreck of your soul and to be led down countless places that don't lead you anywhere near God. The Bible puts it the other way around. It begins by an act of faith in obedience to God. Again, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. These are commands. Surrender your body and mind and will to Him. Do it as an act of faith. Let the feelings follow after obedience. To put it plainly, stop letting feelings lead you into spiritual disobedience and let His truth take you into His presence for joy. Which is the second thing. Come into His presence with singing. Notice it doesn't say get a feeling, then sing. It says come with singing. Just like with service, you serve with gladness. It's a command, right? You say, heart, get with it. Heart, get glad because He's worthy whether you feel it or not. You urge yourself. Same thing here. Mouth, get singing. Because he's worthy. You know, I don't, I don't always sing because I feel like it. Sometimes I sing in order to feel it. Because he's worthy whether I feel it or not. 
And you see, this is the truly amazing thing. Maybe you've seen this. Often the very act of choosing to praise Him, of opening my mouth and beginning to sing, produces a heartfelt response. And that happens many times, right? Many times I come here... Now, am I confessing something here? Many times I come here... I don't feel like worship. But out of obedience to Christ, I open my mouth and I begin to sing. And I begin to orient myself to Him. And something about singing the truth overcomes my dullness and brings me to God. Uh, Luther said that music is one of God's greatest gifts after the Gospel for bringing us to Him. Because you see, that's the goal. That's the goal. The goal goal is to get your face in His presence. Notice that. He says, enter His presence. Literally, come before His face with your face, so to speak. Right? And, And singing, worship is one of the means of grace God gives us to facilitate this act of faith, by faith. This is very practical. And so sometimes... You've just got to take hold of the truth by faith and sing whether you feel like it or not. Sing because you believe it. Seek Him till He finds you. (laughs) That, by the way, is why Christianity has always been a singing faith. Really unique among the faiths of this world. I mean, others do have chants and they do have music, but only Christianity has this kind of robust, heartfelt congregation and individual singing as a response to God's grace. And so this is God's gift for your good to lift your heart out of itself to remind you that He is worthy. You you ought to have regular times throughout the week That you meet with God whether you feel like it or not. Stop letting feelings determine what you do. Let truth do that. Come together to worship and sing and pray alone in private worship or with family and friends or both. But but let the act of worship orient you to Him so that the whole of your week is bracketed with worship beginning here, starting here, but then multiplied many times over through the week so that you are fueled with that and you come back here and you share what you've had all week and begin again. Okay, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do you fan the flames of heartfelt worship? Well, that's the next thing. Verse 3, by knowing God. Right? True worship comes from a true knowledge of God. Verse 3, know that the Lord He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. To know Him is to worship Him. Notice how the knowledge of God here is what brings the worship of God. We could put it this way, doctrine leads to doxology. And so it's a simple command, a confession really. Know Him. Know who? Know Yahweh. Notice it's all caps in your Old Testament. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is a trigger for you to understand. We're talking about Yahweh here. Israel's personal, knowable God who revealed Himself to Moses and makes Himself known in history and in the Word. The God who can be known and wants to be known. And so, so this is a confession of faith. It says, know Him, and then gives you three things you must know about Him. 
Three things that fan the flames of worship. First, you must know that He is God, and by implication, you are not. Verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. Now listen, this is just one of those fundamental truths of the universe that you've got to get your head around and you've got to know deeply. We could put it like this. Back when we had a sign with changeable letters, I like to put this sign out there. There is a God. You are not Him. Deal with it. (laughs) And the way you deal with that is by stepping down off the throne you've constructed for yourself and giving Him His rightful place of supremacy over the whole of your life. There is a God. You are not Him. Deal with it. And that's true whether you like it or not. That's true whether you agree or not. That's true whether you acknowledge Him or not. He alone is God. As God Himself put it in Isaiah 46 verse 9, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like Me. Which which being translated means you are not the God of your life. Not an inch of it. You are not the God of your body. You are not the God of that space called your womb or of the other organs of your body. You are not the God of your sexuality or your gender. He is. You don't determine morality for yourself. You don't determine what is right and wrong. You know, what is right for you? No, there is no such thing as right for you. There is only what is right as determined by God. And to be wrong with God is to be wrong, period. Oh, how we must understand this. And all these things are determined for us and flow down to us by the One who alone is God. And until we understand that, until we grasp that, we will never see the world rightly nor live rightly before Him. It all begins by acknowledging this fundamental truth. He is God and I'm not. In fact, why don't you just say that with me? It's a good reminder. Say, He is God and I'm not. Take that home with you. Yes, someone said, thanks be to God, and that's right. Second, as God, He is your Creator, not you. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His, which can also be translated, He made us and not we ourselves. So we are not self-creators. We are not self-ultimate determiners. You are not a self-creator. This this is probably the great anthropological heresy of our age right now. That we can self-create. That we self-determine our lives or our morality, our gender or whatever. That we ourselves are autonomous demigods free to create our own identity and nature and the reality in which we will choose to live. But here's the problem with that broken philosophy. Here's the problem with it. This God-made reality will not bend to your will. It won't. Ever. Oh, oh, you can deceive yourself. That's one reason many social media platforms are so deceptive, right? Because you can create a mythological view of yourself. You can present to the world you know, that you are something other than you are, but it's, it's all an illusion. You can pretend to be your own little creator and maker and shaper of your destiny. But sooner or later, you must stand before Him and face the reality. You are not. 
a self-creator. That's just that old satanic lie. You will be as God. No, no, you won't ever accept it. There is only one God allotted per universe, and it ain't you. It's Him. And it is He who made you. I love children's catechisms. If we could put this on the board behind me. Um, They're simple. I, I encourage you to use them with your children. Listen to how this one begins. It's only the first five questions, but I, I want you to say it responsibly with me. I'll do the question, you do the answer. Who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made what did God make? Uh, why did God make you in all things? How can you glorify God? Why ought you to glorify God? Oh, there is deep truth there. Teach your kids this. Remind yourself this. Because listen, moral and spiritual sanity begins here. By acknowledging Him as the source of all life and all meaning. And then then seeing the whole of my life as a gift from His good hands. James says that. James 1, 16, 18 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. The implication being that you probably are being deceived. Don't be deceived. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And it's when you begin to see life like that as a gift of His hand when you begin to see life as His gift to be received and acknowledged and rejoiced in, when you begin to see life like that, that changes everything. To see my body as His gift for my good. To see my gender as His gift. He made you either male or female. And to receive that as His good news. A good gift to be used for His glory. To be surrendered to Him for His purposes. To see my personality with all of its quirks and its strengths and its weaknesses as His gift for my good. His instrument that He will use for His glory. As I consciously begin to receive these gifts from Him, and I can say, Lord, help me use these gifts for Your glory, that's where a heartfelt gratitude begins because I'm beginning to see all of life for what it is, a gift from Him to be used for His glory. And I begin to thank Him for it. I begin to see it as a gift and thank Him for it. I begin to dedicate to Him all that I am and all that I have to be used as He designed it to bring glory to Him. Which brings me to the third thing that we need to know if we are to rejoice in Him. And that is third, that He is the shepherd and we are the sheep who follow Him. The end of verse 3 says, And we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. In other words, the one who made us owns us. And the one who owns us loves us and is committed to caring for us. Now here, of course, we're speaking specifically of believers to the ones Jesus is talking about in John 10. When He says in verse 27, My sheep hear My voice. My sheep, right? The ones I've come to to, to save. My sheep hear My voice. I know them and they follow Me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. To be owned and loved by God is life's greatest treasure. And to know that you are loved by Him. What grace! Because as Isaiah says, Isaiah 53.7, all we like sheep have gone astray. We didn't do this. We didn't bring this about. We've all gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Christ the Good Shepherd came for us. He laid down His life for us to claim us as His own so that now, listen, if you're in Christ, you are His by a double bond. You are His by creation and you are His by redemption. So that you are wholly and completely His. And to know that, listen, to know that, what a joy. And to revel in that fact so that you draw near to Him daily in gratitude and worship. I mean, just again, getting practical, do you start your day there? Do you begin your day with that acknowledgement? Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What would that do for you? What would that do for your life to begin with that reminder ringing in your soul every day as you go out to face the day with all of its challenges and frustrations? What would it do for you to even remember these three things that are in this verse, right? There is a God and it's not me, it's Him. My life is the gift of His hand created for His good and His glory. And He is the shepherd of my soul leading me daily as I trust and follow Him. Oh, listen, you you ought to remind yourself of that and things like it every single day. You ought to remind your spouse. You ought to remind your children. You ought to let this be echoing in your heart because as you step out into the world, you know the, the darkness that is there, the winds of unbelief and frustration and anger are blowing hard against you, seeking to blow you off course. And this is a stabilizing compass to begin each day focused on the truth of who He is, understanding why He made you, setting that at the very center of your soul uh, like a nail driven in granite that's not going anywhere. Because this is how a Christian sees life. And listen, day by day it is a choice to see life this way and not be blown off course. Where we wake up every single morning and remind ourselves of these truths. This, by the way, is why I prioritize a a time of daily devotion. Now, I do mine in the morning. You don't have to do the morning, but I I recommend it if it's possible. But at some point, and not out of legalism, but really for sanity in this insane world. I, I want to daily reset my mind so it is fixed on Christ. Uh, Colossians 3.2 Set your minds on things above. So the, so the mind is an instrument that can be set. There's a switch. There's a dial of some sort. Set your mind on things above where Christ is, not on things on the earth. How are you doing that? So you see all of life in light of Christ and His gifts. Listen, that's where gratitude begins. That's where joy begins to be stoked. Which brings us into the third thing. This morning, 
A heart of gratitude then grows out of a life that is consciously fixed on Christ and His gifts. Consciously. Verses 4 and 5. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Only two, you don't enter by accident. Most doorways, you, there, there, there's, there's, a, there's an entering. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Why? Because the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. This again is an invitation. It's an invitation for you and your children to draw near to God, to know Him, and to find joy in Him daily. That's conscious. And the doorway into that joy-filled presence is gratitude. We enter His presence through a willing thankfulness. In fact, the picture here is one of entering the temple, that holy place where God's presence dwells. Probably this was used upon entering. Probably the first three verses were those coming up the hill to Jerusalem and the last two verses are the priests inside saying, come on in, but do it with thanksgiving. Enter with praise. Bless His name. Look and see who He is. We're being welcomed into the temple, into the holy presence of God. But of course, you remember... That, that as Gentiles, you and I had no such entrance. We had uh, no entrance. We were forbidden from entering the temple of God in the Old Testament, barred from His presence and grace. But now, through Christ, through the finished work that He accomplished on the cross, a doorway has been opened to us. Right? Hebrews 10, 19 and 20, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, boldness to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, since we have this access, let's use it. Right? The veil has been rent. The door has been opened and we are welcomed in. And how do you enter such a place? Oh, by faith. Yes, by faith in Christ, but by a faith that is filled with songs of gratitude. In fact, it is not going too far to say that gratitude is the beating heart of all true faith. Faith produces it. Faith swims in it. Rejoices in it. Dances in its light. So that wherever a true faith exists, right by its side, you will find gratitude raising its voice. And where there is no gratitude, we have reason to wonder, is there actually any faith? Right? I mean, is this you? See, that's the question. Or, if we were having a private conversation over coffee or your preferred, you know, warm beverage. <laughs> are you a thankful person? Are you? Do words of gratitude regularly come out of your mouth toward God? Just punctuated through the day? Or to others around you? This is one of those key features of the Christian faith. This is one of those things that, that, that ought to define us. Colossians 3 Verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. In fact, little exercise. Go through your Bible and look at all the times Paul says, Be thankful. So are you thankful? Are you known by those around you 
as a thankful person. If I, if I were to go behind your back and ask your family and friends in private, would they say that you are someone who often expresses gratitude? That when they think of you, they think of someone who is grateful. Because listen, a thankful heart, again, is one of the evidences of a genuine Christian faith. It's, it's one of the ways you acknowledge God for His grace. So much so that the Apostle Paul actually says in Romans one twenty one that a lack of thankfulness is a sure sign of a rebellious heart. Right? Go check out Romans one twenty one this week. He says, although they, speaking of those who are under the wrath of God, although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, right? Because God's not in it. And their foolish heart was darkened. Darkened. A lack of gratitude is the dark attitude of a rebellious heart that refuses to acknowledge God. Right? This is one of the things we see all around us. I mean, think about it. Think about it. If you, if you really do believe that you're the one in control, that you are in some way God over your life, what do you have to be thankful for? To, to whom would you be thankful? You won't have an attitude of gratitude if that's your mindset. You'll have an attitude of entitlement, which is what we see rampant in our individualistic culture. Right? I deserve this. I have, a, I have a right to have that. Get out of my way. I demand you give me what is mine. But if instead, you know that God is God. And every good thing that you have has come down from Him. All of your life, all of your joys, your access into His presence, your help in time of need, even your struggles, which you understand He is working for your good and His glory, and you see that and you acknowledge that regularly, that acknowledgement orients your life to Him so that gratitude begins to flow regularly from your heart. The gates get open and the gratitude comes out. I mean, dear one, test yourself in this. Are you a thankful person? Is that a regular feature of your life? If not, why not? Children, you who are here, children, do you express thanks without having to be made to do it? Does saying thank you and expressing gratitude, oh, even to your brother and sister, does that come? Young people, you know, there's something about the teenage years that can lead to a very self-focus and teenagers can become very moody and that's part of growing up. I get that, but it can also mean that you thank nobody for nothing. Older people, huh? it's really easy to get grumpy as you get older. Are you grateful? Do others see and hear you giving thanks often? Listen, if not, repent. Right? Repent. Your eyes are far too much on yourself and far too little on Him and His gifts. Repent and turn. Put your eyes back on Christ and all that He is and all that He's done and let that begin to feel gratitude in your heart. And maybe it will show you your lack of gratitude that you don't even know Him and you need to begin there. Bowing the knee to the One who is God. Letting Him become the Lord. Listen, because here's here's a little truth, and you'll notice this if you haven't already. Grateful people tend to be happier people. Ungrateful people are miserable and demanding. 
right? Just walk around Walmart in the toy section. <laughs> You'll see it, right? Get this into you. Okay, but how? Final verse. How do you get this into you? You get your eyes on Him. Verse 5, He answers the question, Why? Why enter His gates with thanksgiving? Why enter His courts with praise? Why give thanks to Him? Why bless His name? Oh, because the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. Three things to fix your mind on regularly in order to cultivate gratitude. First, set your mind on the fact that God is good. For the Lord is good. Do you believe that? I know it's part of your confession, but do you believe that? Do you do you remind yourself of this often? Hey, hey what's that little ditty that some churches say regularly? God is good all the time. Now that can just be a tradition. But it's a great reminder. Maybe something we ought to do. In fact, this, this word for good has to do with life-giving good. The kind of good that causes the soul to flourish. The kind of good you learn to taste by experience through constantly drawing near to Him. Psalm 34 verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He means experience His goodness. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Set your mind on His goodness. Second, set your mind on the fact that He is unchanging in His love. Again, verse 5, His steadfast love endures forever. God is love. That's His character. And so we're back... Guess what? To that little word said, we've seen again and again in the Psalms, God's unchanging covenant love for His people, that He loves us all the time for Christ's sake. And this commitment of love is not a temporary whim of emotion, a flash of passion, but the steady state commitment of His heart to us because of Christ. And when you know that, and when you see that that is something that you can absolutely count on, that creates gratitude in your heart. And when you blow it and He takes you back, and you get off track and He comes after you, and, 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 and you, you're not worthy to come, but He welcomes you like the prodigal son and washes you and puts the ring on your finger and the, and the clothes on your back, and you realize that, that brings you gratitude. Again, you want to see the, the, the distinction? Look at the prodigal son and his gratitude and the older brother and his sense of entitlement. We ought to think about these things. In fact, we don't have time to look at it, but throughout the Psalms, we see this pattern emerging. Psalm 136, 1. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because He's good. Because His steadfast love endures forever. And you find those verses, and you say them to yourself, and you sing them to yourself, and you do it until you believe it. Which brings us to the last one, third. Because His faithfulness to us continues forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. Lamentations 3, 21-26, written by Jeremiah after the collapse and fall of Jerusalem. Blood still in the streets. The worst time the people of Jude, the Jews up to that point had ever experienced. In the midst of his brokenheartedness, he looks up and says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in Him. Notice the choice He's making here. He could just whine and complain. It's all broken. It's all bloodied. No. The Lord's my portion. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Oh, He is good and He is faithful. His love is not the whim of temporary emotion. His commitment doesn't wane and grow old with time. He is steadfast, unchangeable in His commitment to love us in Christ. We can count on that. Charles Spurgeon writes, As our fathers found Him faithful, so will our sons and their seed forever. Our heart leaps for joy as we bow before One who has never broken His Word or changed His purpose. What I'm saying is we should think of this often, consciously, day to day. We should strengthen our souls and provoke our hearts to praise Him with these truths. To know Him. To know that He's there. To know that He's God. To know that He's not going anywhere. To know that we can count on Him and His faithfulness. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And we are being called to enter into His presence to fix our eyes upon Him to cultivate this heart of worship and gratitude, to cultivate it in our own lives, to cultivate it in our children's lives, to work it out daily in expressions of gratitude. This is what the life with God at the center looks like. This is the course that is set for joy. May the Lord usher us along this path as we fix our eyes, our hopes, and our joys on Him. Amen? Lord, Lord, don't let it end because we say Amen here in the next few minutes. Don't let worship be an event we attend in a building, but be the course of life set as we gather in Your name. Lord, we could be meeting outside. We could be meeting in someone's basement. It doesn't matter that we've met in a building called a church. We are the church. And we meet with You to fuel this passionate understanding of who You are so that it rules our life throughout the whole of the week. God, would You give this heart. And where this heart doesn't exist, would You grant it? Would You grant faith to repent of sin, to repent of unthankfulness, to repent of ungratitude, to repent of a self-centered focus, to repent of thinking that I'm God of thinking that I deserve, to thinking that it all ought to serve me, would You cause us to lay down our lives and let them serve You alone. Serve the Lord with gladness. Put that in our hearts. Grant it for Christ's sake, we pray, in His magnificent name. Amen.